Welcome to the Wellspring Church Podcast. My name is Dante, and I'm praying that this message encourages you to seek after truth, to develop perseverance, and ultimately pushes you to fall more in love with Jesus than ever before. So pull out your paper and pen, and let's dive on in. for what God has in store for today. Um, Lord willing, I will preach this sermon. If not, then I'll shut up. I told the Holy Spirit this morning, I said, I'm not going to speak a word. Not a word is going to come out of my lips unless I know it's of you. And, and if he has us sit here in silence for three and a half hours, we're going to do it. And, uh, and there's one of the things I was praying, I was like, Lord, I... I I told Heidi this morning, I, I don't want to stand before God one day and him tell me that I talk too much. Man, Dante, you got up there and you told him all your passions, but they didn't hear from me. And if I, I can say a hundred beautiful words, I can even say the scripture. And if it's not of the Holy Spirit, it'll fall on deaf ears. And you won't leave here changed. You won't, you won't leave here a new person I won't leave here a new person. I'll, I'll leave here a prideful person. And so this morning, um, I would like to pray, and uh, I would like to just sit in silence. And when the Lord prompts, then we'll dive into the Word. I want this morning to encourage you to, to let go of all the thoughts that are running in your mind. All the craziness of life, I want you to just to just sit in silence. Let your, your spirit... Take captive your spirit. You know when you have a little child and the child is just ADHD sitting there. When you're trying to tell them something, just looking around, just take. Now it's the same. You're like, wake up, wake up, come on. Like, look, look at me in the eyes. Okay, it's that moment of tuning into the spirit. There's a spiritual. There's like a spiritual um, sound, and if we have to. You have to, It's something you have to tune into. It's something to enter into, and you won't be able to hear what the spirit has unless you tune into it. So let's all close our eyes. as we are worshiping this morning. You can keep your eyes closed. The Lord reminded me of what a miracle it is to be in the house of the Lord. 
Isaiah 66. One says, Thus says the Lord, Heaven is my throne, and the earth is my footstool. Where then is a house that you could build for me? And where is a place that I, God, may rest? Can God rest in you today? For my hand has made all these things, and thus all these things came into being, declares the Lord. But to this one I will look, to him who is humble and contrite in spirit. Him who is humble and contrite in spirit and who trembles at my word. And I was he reminded me of Leviticus 10. Now Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, took their respective fire pans, and after putting fire, them placed incense on it and offered strange fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. And fire came out of the presence of the Lord and consumed him, and they died before the Lord. Then Moses said to Aaron, It is what the Lord spoke, saying, By those who come near me I will be treated as holy, and before all the people I will be honored. So Aaron therefore kept silent. Moses called also to Mishael and Ezaphan, the sons of Aaron's uncle Uziel, and said to them, Come forward, carry your relatives away from the front of the sanctuary to the outside of the camp. So they came forward and carried them still in their tunics to the outside of the camp. And Moses had said, Then Moses said to Aaron and his sons, Eleazar and Ethamar, Do not uncover your heads nor tear your clothes so you will not die, and that he will not become wrathful against all the congregation. But your kinsmen and the whole house of Israel shall bewail the burning which the Lord has brought about. See, Nadab and Abihu, they, their hearts were to go into the, the temple of the Lord. But it wasn't pleasing to him because he didn't command them. But now, what a miracle it is. You can open your eyes. What a miracle it is that we now get to come into the house of the Lord. And the scripture we're going to be talking about today says that to enter in boldly to the throne room of grace. Now we don't have to worry about being burnt up like that. We get to enter boldly into the throne of grace. And on this throne is grace forevermore, grace unending. And so this, this morning, we're going to be talking about sin, about freedom from sin. And if you come in here this morning with sin in your life, there's a throne of a grace that you can approach boldly. And so I want you to open your ears to what the Lord has to say this morning. The title of my message is Milk, Honey, and War. I had to put war in there just because every one of my sermons has to have something like ultra-masculine in it. <laughs> Milk, honey, 
in war. And this year, um, the theme that God has put on my heart to preach for myself, to preach for others, is to contend, another masculine word, contend for holiness. And this contend is like, 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 if, like, no matter what happens, I'm going to do with all my heart, I'm going to contend for purity, contend for holiness. If you look at the state of the world right now, this last week, our president invited a woman and like, like set her up on a pedestal for aborting a baby at 21 weeks. He said, this is what, what peak morals look like. This is a woman to be honored. This, this, this is outrageous. This is out, murder, murder is outrageous. If you, if, if he was to take somebody who, if you took Osama bin Laden and put him up there, would have they still been worshiping? Absolutely not. Murder is murder, right? There's some things happening. We have drag queens going into our schools and grooming these children and telling, telling them to, to be who they are. And th- this should create righteous anger inside of us, right? These, our children are being raised up in, in what everybody's calling normal has only become normal in the last couple of years. And, and so it is so important that we became, become angry for what God is angry towards and love what he loves. It's so important. As the world gets darker, we must learn to contend in the presence of God that he would restore our, our nation, restore our young people, and restore our churches. Amen. I mean, contend. That's why we come here on Wednesday nights when we pray that Lord would, would restore our young people, restore our children, restore our marriages, restore our country, right? And it comes through contending. It's not just coming in, Lord, if you will. It's like, Lord, like contending today, Lord, we devout our lives to raising up a generation of people that love you. And this might be convicting. This might be convicting. Don't complain. I want you to write this down if you're taking notes, okay? Don't complain until you've contended. Don't complain. Don't get on Facebook griping and complaining. Don't sit there and go up to your, to your neighbor and, man, this, this new generation can't believe they're allowing transgenders in the school. I can't believe they got a new abortions facility on the block. I can't believe. Don't go complaining about it until you've contended in the presence of God, until you're actually in the schools discipling children, until you're actually, every single Sunday, you're grabbing these little children and you're loving on them and teaching them about Jesus. Don't complain about it until you've contended. And don't contend, now write this down, listen real closely. Don't contend with God unless you're ready for him to contend back with you. Don't contend with God until you're ready for him to contend back with you. Because he's going to say, great, I'm glad that you are passionate about your, your children being restored. I'm glad that you're passionate about this country getting back on track. I've given you all that you need. I've given you my Holy Spirit. I've given you the word of God. I've given you your two hands and your feet and your mouth. God's going to contend back with you and he's going to say, I'm so glad. I'll take your complaints. I'll take them, but great. 
What are you going to do about it? This is, this is my, this is my um, conviction, um, and uh, it just breaks my heart. I teach a, um, a class. Um, it's called um, Biblical Life Skills for Pathway. And what we do, if you haven't heard this before, um, is we go in, and it's an eight-week course, and we teach them everything, life skills, and then we infuse the gospel all throughout it. So we, we teach them about um, that God has a plan for their life, we teach them about sexual purity. We talk to them about the importance of uh, abstinence. We talk to them about drug use, about communication, all those things, right? And we just infuse the gospel all throughout it. And um, I'll tell you, without fail, without fail, almost about 80% of the kids that I teach have never in their life opened the Bible up. 13, 14 years old, 15 years old, never opened the Bible in their life. This last class I t- um, that I'm teaching right now, uh, when we started three weeks ago, three guys in there, random, I'm talking uh, random people. All three, t- t- one of them had opened the Bible before. Two of them had only heard the name the Bible. Those two had never heard the name Jesus. They didn't know what the first sin was. They didn't know about the apple. They didn't know about who Adam and Eve were. They had, and they're in the Bible Belt. They had, they had no clue who Jesus was. Two miles down the block from us. Now, if these three random kids haven't heard it, then how many are there? It's an unreached people group. How many, I mean, who's seen that movie? I forget what it's called. Where, you know, they, they go on an airplane and out to the island, and it's like an unreached people group, and they wanted to reach them with the gospel end of the spear. You're like, oh, I would give anything just to go get on a plane and tell people who've never heard about Jesus before. I would, I would sell everything. I would tell them all about Jesus. But then you got people down the block who've never heard of Jesus. Is that not just like, oh, are you kidding me? We're in the Bible belt. Like, it makes sense if it was like somewhere up in California or Oregon or something. But you have people in your back neighborhood who have never even heard of the name of Jesus, that ought to bring conviction. And we can do something about that. We can do something about that, right? If there was an unreached people group that we heard of, some random island, we would do anything to go get to them. But will you go to your neighbor down the street? I mean, it's every day. And we wonder why why our our nation is the way it is. There's a whole unreached people group. So I wanted to bring conviction about that. That is not my message, um, but today we're going to be going over milk, honey, and war. Um, I'm going to be talking about uh, the Exodus um, and how the relation of the Exodus, Moses, and them going, going out of Egypt and then into the wilderness and then eventually into the promised land. I'm, I'm going to correlate that with the gospel, okay? I'm going to correlate that with the gospel and how we walk that out every single day. The Bible is, it is, uh, God done it so beautifully if you read it all. We're going to be reading out of Hebrews 3 and 4. Amen. And it's, God, it's literally prophecy of what is to come that God did way back then. And then, and then it, it directly applies to our life. So the Bible, it is a a picture 
and it's a prophecy. So these aren't just stories that were once told and like it actually happened. The Exodus actually happened. But somehow God correlated it to our salvation. So if you're taking notes, I want you to write down in the kingdom there are processes. There's processes of the kingdom. Within the kingdom of God, there is a process of salvation and sanctification. Philippians 2.12 says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. There's a working out of your salvation. There's, you get saved from your sin, but then there's a working out. There's a continual working out of your salvation So many Christians get saved and set free, and that is the extent of their walk with God. They may read their Bible and go to church, but they are missing out on the fullness of life. So you can get saved, and you can can be changed. You can actually be changed inside, and you can be going to heaven, but your life here is hell. Your life here sucks, (laughs) because you've never walked in the fullness of Jesus. Psalms 16.11 says, You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures evermore. There's so much. Some of, y- some of y'all read that and you're just like, That's, that just is not my experience. That's just not my experience. I don't receive fullness of joy. So I don't, but there is a fullness that you haven't walked into yet. It doesn't matter how old you are. This fullness is for everyone. We should be going from glory to glory to glory. Our walk with the Lord should be going, getting better and better and better. I want, I want my relationship to be like Miss Lee and Miss, or, uh, Miss Linda and Brother Lee. Like I, I look up to y'all because y'all carry a presence and a love, right? And so y'all are an example that I can look up to and say, like, I want to grow into love with Jesus like that. Right? And then Brother, Brother Lee, you can probably testify that like, you're like, I'm nowhere near where I want to be. I want to get closer and closer, right? Right? And it's just this mindset of never changing from glory to glory. And if you haven't been experiencing that, it's free for you. If you haven't been experiencing that, it's free. And he wants to pour it out from you. There's a process in the kingdom. We go from Death to a life to abundant life. See, we're dead before Christ. From the point of birth, we are dead and we are lost in slavery. And then Jesus sets us free from sin. That's the point of salvation. We're getting the technicals here. It's the point of salvation. So we're going to heaven. We've been regenerated. Our sin has been forgiven. But then the Holy Spirit sanctifies us into the holy kingdom of God. There's a process, there's a working out of salvation that's done through the Holy Spirit. There's a fullness. Jesus said, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. If you're not experiencing heaven on earth, then maybe you haven't walked in the fullness of God. And that's not a, that's not a place, that's a continual growth in the Spirit of God. And then Jesus also says, seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added unto you. Seek first. He's saying that's the most important thing. More than 
getting the next job more than the next kid, more than the next thing. He's saying, seek first the kingdom of God, and the job will come, and the blessing will come, and your, your, your marriage will be restored. Your love for your family will be restored. Your, your, your finances will begin to align because there's only one thing that matters, and that's to seek first the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is not a place in heaven. The kingdom of God is now, on earth as it is in heaven. The kingdom of God is now. See, many Christians are saved and going to heaven, but their life is hell. There's so much more to the kingdom than just breathing. There's so much more to the kingdom than just breathing. Jesus came to give us life and life abundantly. Abundant life in Christ. There's, there's joy evermore. And you're like, okay, why, then why is my life like it is, Dante? Why is my life as terrible as it is? Why is this happening to me? Jesus, he's not, it doesn't say that there's not going to be hard times. He said there's life evermore. There's joy evermore through those, right? John 10.10. 10. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And I came that you would have a life and have it abundantly. Abundant life. Not just life. It's not just living. This Walking here on earth, being a Christian, is not just living. It's not just going to work each day, just going through the motions. It's life abundantly. So if God, Jesus came to give us life abundantly, so why for so many Christians does it feel like death? Everybody say process. process. There's kingdom processes. We go from Egypt to the wilderness to the promised land. And that's what I'm going to be correlating today. We go from Egypt, God delivers us out of our, our slavery into the wilderness, and, and then there's a promised land for the children of God. The wilderness is not a place of milk and honey. Who can testify to that? The wilderness is not just a place of milk and honey. The blessing is really not in the wilderness, even though it is. The wilderness is not just the, the kindest place. Who remembers the, the, the Israelites? They just grumbled and complained all day long. Man, Moses is too hot out here, man. I'm tired of this. Moses, is, we need some food. We haven't eaten in days. Moses. Just complaining, crying, grumbling. The, the wilderness is a place of trial and error. It's a place of hardship and, tes and testing. The wilderness is tough. Now I want you to, to, to look up. We, we go from death to life. Okay, in the wilderness, you're set free from Egypt. You're not held captive by sin anymore. But you're working out your salvation you're having to reconcile, okay, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not an Egyptian anymore. I've been an Egyptian all my life. What is it like? What's going on? And you, I've, I've always been, been fed by the world. I've always been fed this. Now I have to produce my own fruit. Now I have to, right? There is a working out of your salvation in the wilderness. But I want to encourage you to this. Don't despise the wilderness. You can't get into the promised land until you first cross 
the wilderness. You can't get into the promised land until you first cross the wilderness. So don't despise it. Even Jesus had to have his wilderness period. He was drawn out into the wilderness for 40 days to be tempted by Satan. He went out into the wilderness to be tempted. Like That's probably a hundred times worse than any temptation we've ever endured. Like I've been tempted by my friends. Hey man, you want you want to you want to try this? You know, but Jesus, like, like he had to go out with Satan himself. Like the te- like the he knows how to tempt in every way. He know he's got it, he's got it down to a T, right? So even Jesus had his wilderness period. God uses the wilderness to create in you a person that's capable to walk in the fullness of the kingdom. Paul said, I rejoice in various trials because in them produces endurance. It is in the wilderness that you learn dependence. They had to follow the cloud. In Egypt, they, in Egypt, they just slaved to sin. In Egypt, we're just, we're just bound to the world. But now that they get out of the wilderness... Now they have to, they're bound to something else. And that's where the next one is. We go from enslaved to sin to freedom to a bond slave or a bond servant. You know what the difference between a slave and a bond slave is? When Paul talks about a bond slave, he's saying, he's talking about a, a, a servant who loves their master so much that he says, you know what? I want to serve you for the rest of my life because you are a good master. I want anything you need, I got it. And that's why Paul calls him a bond servant because he was bound to the good God that he is, right? So I'm a bond servant to God. I love serving God so much, I'm going to follow him for the rest of my life. And so the reason, I think the reason that the Israelites had such a hard time out in the wilderness because they went from enslaved to freed but then they didn't realize that they were still in slavery to something. They were still, they had to learn to be bond servants. They had to learn, they thought, the wilderness, man, we're free, let's go. We're in the wilderness. No Pharaoh telling us what to do. We're free. I ain't ever picking up a brick again. And then, and then God comes down in a fiery ball and says, follow me. You're not going to eat for days. You're not going to have any water. And then whenever you get close to the promised land, you're going to be stupid and you got to wander around for 40 years. Amen. That's pretty crazy. They had to become bond servants so many times I see this with young Christians is they, they, get, they get set free and then as soon as you start telling them what to do, they're like, man, I don't want no part of that. I don't want no part of that. I'm going to leave. Man, it's too tough out in this wilderness because they're not bond servants. They don't realize the love of the God. That's what we're going to get into. Freedom from sin does not mean free to live your life how you want. We must submit our life to God as faithful bond slaves. This is the key to abundant life. I promise you, 
the Israelites could have entered right in if they would have, if they would have just bound themselves to the Lord and said, Whatever you, wherever you go, we'll go. Because what happened? Anybody remember what happened? They got to the edge, and they said, Oh, no, I can't do that. We're going to get into that more. Galatians 2.20 says, It is not I who live, but Christ in me. See, they thought that now that they were free, it's just uh, now, now when t- trials come, I'm going to figure it out. I'm free. But you have to result. It's not I who live. When the Israelites left Egypt, they had to die to something. It's not I who lives. In our Christian walk, it's not I who lives anymore. Dante is dead. Dante is gone. The old Dante, he's in the past. And now the... Now it's not even me anymore. Like, it's not, it's not even you anymore. It's Jesus who lives inside of you. The, the Israelites con, uh, constantly question their freedom because now they are bound to someone else. And that someone else knows the way through the wilderness. And that's where trust is developed, right? Through learning to allow the Spirit of God to lead you through life. Abundant life, I want you to write that down. Abundant life is not equal to abundant freedom. Abundant life is not equal to abundant freedom. They couldn't wander wherever they just want, wherever they wanted to go. They had to follow the, the, the pillar of cloud and fire in order to live. Like in order to live. Are you so dependent on God that if you don't follow him, like, like you feel like you just die? Or you just do what you want, and sometimes when you feel like it, you let God lead you. That's how many Christians live. Whenever they feel like letting God lead, and then they wonder why their life is hell. Right? Abundant life equals abundant rest. Abundant rest. That's the topic we're going to be talking about today, is rest. There's a correlation of scripture between um, them entering the promised land in our salvation, it's in Hebrews uh, 4. If you have your Bibles, open up to Hebrews 4. Hebrews 4, 9. So there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God, for the one who has entered his rest has himself also rested from his works, as God did from his. Therefore, let us be diligent to enter that rest, so that no one will fall, through following the same example of disobedience. There is a supernatural, it's supernatural, there's a supernatural rest for the people of God that we must enter into. It's not something that just, bam, happens. It's something you have to enter into. You have to enter into the rest of God. Just like the Israelites had to enter into the promised land, so you must enter into the rest from the Holy Spirit. Open up to Numbers 13. Numbers 13.30. 
Then Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, We should by all means go up and take possession of it, for we will surely overcome it. But the men who had gone up with him said, We are not able to go up against the people, for they are too strong for us. So they gave out to the sons of Israel a bad report of the land which they had spied out, saying, The land through which we have gone and spying it out is a land that devours its inhabitants, and all the people whom we saw in it are men of great size. There also we saw the Nephilim, and we became like grasshoppers in our own sight, and so we were in their sight. Then all the congregation lifted up their, vo- their voices and cried, and the people wept that night. All the sons of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron, and the whole congregation said to them, Would that we had died in the land of Egypt, or would, uh, or would that we had died in this wilderness? Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become plunder. Would it not be better for us to return to Egypt? So they said to one another, Let us appoint a leader and return to Egypt. What kept the Israelites from entering to rest? Anybody know? Their identity. Their identity and how they saw themselves kept them from entering into the rest of God. They still saw themselves as slaves. They still saw themselves as Egyptians. They said, it would just be better for us to go back into Egypt. It would just be better for me than being out here in the wilderness and die. It would be better for me to just go back to Egypt. And and this happens all the time. It would be better for me just to go back into sin. Because if I have to die to myself, if I have to give up the things that I've been doing my whole life, then it would be better for me to go back to Egypt. There's a death that has to happen so that new life can come. And I know some people in here are struggling with sin. I mean, it it is just a statistic. And I want you to say this. I I want you to understand this. That's what I'll tell you. Rest. Rest. There's a rest for the people of God. God's heart breaks for sin. But he wants all you have to do is rest. Trust me, I, trust me, I know I'm the chief of sinners. I've struggled with sin and I know what sin does. It beats you down and you just, you just, feel, you just feel broken inside. And you feel like you should just grit your teeth and you feel like you should just, you just can't handle it because you know that it breaks God's heart and it breaks your heart, but you can't get out of the cycle. And you'll never get out of the cycle until you learn how to rest. You're not an Egyptian anymore. You're not held captive to sin anymore. You're not dirty anymore. God doesn't see you the way you see yourself. You're not an Egyptian anymore. You're not a sinner anymore. You're not a a sinner 
as, as a Christian, God, it says that God wipes our sin as far as the east is in the west, as the west. And I hear so many Christians, I'm just a sinner, but the Lord forgives me. You're not a sinner anymore. You're a saint who occasionally sins. Those who are in Christ are made new to, and made complete. You've got a blank slate, and that, that now your paper can never be colored on because you are as clean as you'll ever be. And it's in that identity. See, they still believe them that they were Egyptians. They still believe that they're held captive. But until they learned to say, I am made new, I am free from sin, until their identity changed in their mind, then they were able to enter the promised land. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, God made the one who knew no sin to become sin so that we would become the righteousness of God. You've been made righteous. <laughs> Believe it. Psalms 103.12, as far as the east is to the west, he has removed our sin from us. The prodigal son kept sinning because he identified as not a son anymore. See, the father's feelings never changed for him. The father's feelings never changed for his son. Though he took his money and he went and spent it on wild living, he eagerly waited his son's return and says he's seen him from far off and he ran to him. got off slide 16 yeah. this place is re of rest is found it, uh, this place of rest is found by resting in the fact that as a saint you're as free from Egypt as you'll ever be I want you to write that down if you're taking notes this place of rest is found by resting in the fact that you are as free from Egypt as you'll ever be. You're as free as you'll ever be. So stop focusing on the sin and start focusing on the grace of God. He says to approach the throne of grace. He doesn't say, ask for forgiveness and then approach me. He says, approach the throne of grace so that I can give you my grace, so that I can pour out my love. Jesus' heart is never, come to me once, once you're clean. It says, come to me so I can cleanse you. That's why he died. And whenever we wallow in our sin and are just, oh, I just, I'm such, just a failure. I'm just worthless. I just sinned. We are, we are disgracing the fact that he gave his life for us. Because he loves to give grace. And I know this, this, kind of, this kind of irks you at the back of your mind because I should be condemning sin. When condemning sin looks like running to Jesus. Getting rid of sin in your life, contending for holiness, contending for purity, looks like running after the one who, only one who's pure. The only one that's holy. You can never really know holiness until you know, the, until you know holy. Getting rid of sin doesn't look like grit in your teeth. So stop. There needs to be a grit for just longing to be in the house of the Lord because now you don't have to worry about getting burnt up in the temple. Now you get to live in the house of the Lord all the days of your life because you are the temple of God. You are the temple of God. You are made holy and in his temple is only holiness. Approach him boldly. Can I get uh, Peyton... Would you be able to come up here?
Thank you. There's a throne of grace available to you today. We're going to take a time to let the Holy Spirit minister. To open your heart to the Lord. And have the heart of David. We say, search me, O God. If you've been struggling from sin, stop wandering. Stop wandering in the desert. Take your wilderness period and use that as leverage to grow you into the fullness of God. There's a promised land for the people of God. There's a place of rest. I'm not promising that there's not going to be struggles. There's going to be people who die in your life. There's going to be hardships. There's going to be sin arise. There was giants in the promised land. There was giants in the promised land and giants are going to creep up in your life and and Satan's going to roar his little head and he's going to try to sneak in the little tiny temptations and the little things that are going to corrupt you. But you you have to have that spirit of contending for holiness. And when that temptation comes up, I, I'm not an Egyptian anymore. I am not in slavery anymore. This, this, world, this world needs people who are hungry for holiness. Hungry for holiness. Hungry for purity. If you don't have an accountability partner, get an accountability partner. You can't be a Christian without an accountability partner. Write that down in your notes. Not technically, but you need an accountability partner. You need somebody who texts every single day. Hey, man, I, I this temptation arose. Hey, man, I fell into this sin. You got to have somebody who can text to and hold you accountability, accountable. This psalm, it is... Oh my gosh. It is so beautiful. When you talk about beloved identity and falling into sin. Who knows the story of David? He went and slept with his best friend's wife. And then sends his best friend out in the front lines of the army to die. I mean, terrible, terrible sin. Like it just, oh. And he goes and he recognizes his sin and he writes the psalm. this, I don't, I don't know exactly when he wrote the psalm, but it kind of gives the connotation that, it's, that he, didn't, he didn't wait forever. He didn't go hide in his sin forever. It doesn't really give that, I mean, he, he, he's constantly writing the psalms, and he says, be gracious to me, O God, according to your loving kindness. According to the greatness of your compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. And cleanse me from my sin. 
for I know my transgressions. My sin is ever before me. Against you and you only I have sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So that you are justified when you speak and blameless when you judge. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin my mother conceived me. Behold, you desire truth in your innermost being. And in a hidden part of you will make me known wisdom. Purify me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness. Let the bones which you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. And then he says, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence, and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Sustain me with a willing spirit that I'll teach transgressors your way and sinners will be converted to you. Deliver from me from blood guiltiness, O God, the God of my salvation. Then my tongue will joyfully sing of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips that my mouth may declare your praise. For you do not delight in sacrifice, otherwise I would give it. You are not pleased with burnt offerings. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit and a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. By your favor, do good to Zion. Build the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in the righteous sacrifices and burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. Four fourteen says, Therefore, since we have a, a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we not do not have a high priest who has passed through the heavens, or sorry, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace in the time of need. If you're in here and you're you're dealing with secret sin, there's a sin in your life that nobody knows about. Because everybody closed their eyes. been battling it so long and that's you almost you almost feel numb to it like you've just cried out to God so much but it just there's no deliverance it feels like you've gritted your teeth you've you've mourned and it feels like you're all alone your heart desires to do what's right but no, no matter how hard you try you just can't 
seem to get to let it go. You so desperately want to enter into the promised land. Yet all you can picture is Pharaoh. here and he wants to meet you. He wants to meet you where you're at. He wants to he wants you to unclench your fist. in all things and he wants to get rid of it for you but you've got to let it go you've got to stop looking at the father's house from afar off and wondering whether you should approach him Father doesn't see you from the Father doesn't see you from afar off, but He knows you're there, and He's eagerly expecting you to finally remember that you are a son. And He's got a ring for you, the best ring. He's got a robe, and He's got a fattened calf. got the most beautiful kisses the softest a love that is transcends any amount of earthly love you're not an Egyptian anymore those of you that life just feels like it just it just won't it just it just never aligns it never gets better the chaos just keeps coming you've heard of, of life getting better and better but for you it just never comes you can never get a hold of your finances dreams but now the dreams are just dull your insecurities will never go away relationships will never repair people keep dying and it feels like everything just no matter how hard you try it gets better just for a little while and then just falls apart
invite you, whether you're dealing with sin, whether you feel like life just doesn't get better, it just gets harder and harder, I want to invite you to come up here and kneel at the altar. We have people here that are going to pray for you. I want you to give it up. I want you, if you have secret sin, if you, I don't really care if you feel comfortable, honestly. Get rid of it. Go and take captive with the giants in your land. invite you right now you can either come up to the front and kneel I don't care what it is if you just need a touch of the, of the presence of Jesus I want you to boldly come up to the front approach the throne of grace and just lift your hand to Jesus, to Jesus. if you feel dull in your spirit come and receive from the, the fruit of the spirit the joy that Jesus has for you you can come now